welcome to another week's episode of Macabre Mortals. I hope you're keeping well and safe wherever you are in the world. As promised, through the month of February, I'm going to be discussing parole and probation, what they mean in different countries, and what things are taken into account when paroles are being assessed before going up before a parole board. I'll also cover cases that happen when people come out on parole, the good and the bad. If you have any questions about this topic during the series, please pop an email through to me and I can see whether I can answer it on the next episode. So, let's dive in. Parole. The word originated from the French word meaning speech, spoken words, and also promise. The term parole became associated with the prison system in the Middle Ages when prisoners released would be, would have to, well sorry, have to give their word that they would not repeat any offence. Now it's more commonly known as the early release of a prisoner who agrees to abide by certain conditions. Alexander Makanochi is a Scottish geographer and captain in the Royal Navy and he introduced the modern idea of parole when in 1840 he was appointed superintendent of the British penal colonies in Norfolk Island here in Australia. He developed a plan to prepare them for the eventual return to society that involved three grades. The first two consisted of promotions earned through good behaviour, labour and study. The third grade in the system involved conditional liberty outside the prison while obeying rules. A violation would return them to prison and they would start all over again through the ranks of the three grade process. He reformed its ticket of leave system, instituting what many consider to be the world's first parole system. Prisoners served indeterminate sentences from which they could be released early if they showed evidence of rehabilitation through participation in graded classification system based on a unit of exchange called a mark. Prisoners earned marks through good behaviour, lost them through bad behaviour and could spend them on passage to a higher classification status, ultimately conveying freedom. The parole board in the UK is only involved in the release of prisoners with specific sentences. Indeterminate sentences, life imprisonment and imprisonment for public protection are always handled by the parole board because they have no fixed release date. Some determinate or fixed sentences, such as an extended determinate sentences, are also handled by the parole board but not for the majority of prisoners. The parole board will not be involved in their release. The conditions of release are called a license and the parole is called released on license. And there are seven standard license conditions for all prisoners. One, be of good behavior and not behave in a way which undermines the purpose of the license period. Two, not commit any offence. Three, 
keep in touch with the supervising officer in accordance with the instructions given by the supervising officer. Four, receive visits from the supervising officer in accordance with instructions given by the supervising officer. Five, reside permanently at an address approved by the supervising officer and obtain the prior permission of the supervising officer for any stay of one or more nights in a different address. Six, not undertake work or a particular type of work unless it's approved by the supervising officer and notify the supervising officer in advance of any proposal to undertake work or a particular type of work. Seven, to not travel outside the United Kingdom, the Channel Islands or the Isle of Man except with prior permission of your supervising officer for the purposes of immigration deportation or removal. When a prisoner does not have to have their release approved by the parole board, further additional license conditions may be suggested by the probation service and set by the prison governors. When the parole board is involved and the probation service may suggest additional conditions, but the parole board is responsible for determining which additional conditions will be added to the license. If an offender breaks any of these conditions, they can be recalled or returned to prison. Since 2014, many of the probation and licensing monitoring functions have been carried out by the private sector, community rehabilitation companies or CRCs, as well as in the National Probation Service. In May 2019, the government in the UK announced that the supervision of offenders, including the supervision of offenders released on licence, would be renationalised. The decision was made following multiple criticisms of the system which led the Chief Probation Inspector Dame Glenna Stacey to describe the system as irredeemably flawed. In New Zealand, inmates serving a short-term sentence up to two years are automatically released after serving half their sentence without a parole hearing. Inmates serving sentences of more than two years are normally seen by the New Zealand Parole Board after serving one-third of the sentence. Although the judge at sentencing can make an order for the minimum non-parole period of up to two-thirds of the sentence. Inmates serving life sentences usually serve a minimum of 10 years or or longer depending on the minimum non-parole period before being eligible for parole. Parole is not an automatic right and it was declined in 71% of hearings in the year of 2010 and many sentences include a specific non-parole period. I'm just going to cover parole in a few other countries before actually covering parole in the United States, just because there is slight differences in a few countries around the world, and I just wanted to touch on them as well. So, Liberta Consunota is covered by the Article 176 of the Italian Penal Code. A prisoner is eligible if they have served at least 30 months or 26 years for life sentences 
and the time remaining on their sentence is less than half the total normally, a quarter of the total if previously convicted or never convicted, or five years for sentences greater than 7.5 years. In 2006, only 21 inmates were granted liberta consiana. Until 2001, parole in Israel was possible only after the prisoner had served two-thirds of their sentence. However, on the 13th of February 2001, the Knesset passed a bill through and brought forward by the Revenue Rilla and Debrid Libai, which allowed the early release of prisoners who had served half of their prison term, the so-called Derry Law. The law was originally intended to help ease overcrowding in prisons. In China, prisoners are often granted medical parole or compassionate release, which releases them on the grounds that they must receive medical treatment, which cannot be provided for in prison. Occasionally, medical parole is used as a less public way of releasing a wrongly convicted prisoner. The Chinese legal code has no explicit provision for exile, but often dissidents are released on the grounds that they need to be treated for a medical condition in another country, and within the understanding that they will be reincarnated if they ever return, reincarcerated if they ever return to China. Dissidents who have been released on medical parole include Nguan Kopel, Nguan Sanderol, Punsong Nirodan, Taknan Jimmy Zangpo, Wang Dan, Wei Jingshen, Gao Jian, and Fang Linxing. In general, in Canada, prisoners are eligible to apply for full parole after serving one third of their sentences. Prisoners are also eligible to apply for day parole and can do this before being eligible to apply for full parole. Any prisoner whose sentence is less than two years is sent to a correctional facility in the province or territory of where they were convicted, whilst anyone sentenced to serve no less than two years will be sent to a federal correctional facility and thus will have to deal with the Parole Board of Canada. Now moving on to parole in the United States. Parole is an option for most prisoners. However, parole is not guaranteed, particularly for prisoners serving life or indeterminate sentences. In cases of first degree murder, one can apply for parole after 25 years if convicted of a single murder. However, if convicted of multiple murders, either of first or second degree, the sentencing judge has the discretion to make parole ineligibility periods consecutive, thereby extending parole ineligibility beyond 25 years, and in rare cases beyond a normal lifespan. The early history of parole in the United States Zebulon Brockway introduced parole when he became superintendent of Elmira Reformatory in Elmira, New York, to manage prison population and rehabilitate those incarcerated. 
he instituted a two-part strategy that consisted of indeterminate sentences and parole releases. This was significant prison reform due to its implication that prisoners began their rehabilitation during incarceration, which would be recognisable by the parole board. It also provided newfound emphasis on prisoners' protection from cruel and unusual punishment. Modern day history. In the United States, courts may specify in a sentence how much time must be served before a prisoner is eligible for parole. This is often done by specifying an indeterminate sentence of saying, five to 15 years or 15 years to life. The latter type is known as an indeterminate life sentence. In contrast, a sentence of life without the possibility of parole is known as a determined life sentence. On the federal level, Congress abolished parole in the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984, Public Library Number 98-473-218A5-98-1837-2027 repealing 18 USCA 420 et sequence. Apparently I have to reference that. Federal prisoners may, however, earn a maximum of 54 days good time credit per year against the sentence. At the time of sentencing, the federal judge may also specify a post-imprisonment period of supervised release. The US Parole Commission still has jurisdiction over parole for those prisoners convicted of felonies in the District of Columbia and those serving their sentences there as well as over certain federally incarcerated military and international prisoners. In most states, the decision of whether an inmate is paroled is vested in a paroling authority, such as the parole board. Mere good conduct while incarcerated in and of itself does not necessarily guarantee that an inmate will be paroled. Other factors may enter into the decision to grant or deny parole. Most commonly, the establishment of a permanent residence and immediate gainful employment or some other clearly visible means of self-support upon release, such as social security if the prisoner is old enough to qualify. Many states will now permit sentences of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, such as for murder or espionage and any prisoner not sentenced to either one of this or the death penalty will eventually have the right to petition for release. One state, Alaska, maintains neither the death penalty nor life imprisonment without parole as sentencing options. Before being granted the privilege of parole, the inmate meets with members of the parole board and is interviewed. The parolee has a psychological exam. The inmate must first agree to abide by the conditions of the parole set by the paroling authority. While in prison, the inmate signs a parole certificate or contract. On this contract are the conditions that the inmate must follow. These conditions usually require the parolee to meet regularly with his or her parole officer or community corrections agent who assesses the behaviour and adjustment of the parolee and determines whether the parolee is violating any 
of his or her terms of release. Typically, these include being at home during certain hours, which is called a curfew, maintaining steady employment, not abscondering, refraining from illicit drug use, and sometimes abstaining from alcohol. Attending drug or alcohol counselling and having no contact with their victim. The inmate gives an address which is verified by the parole officers as valid before the inmate is released to parole supervision. Upon release, the parolee goes to a parole office and is assigned a parole officer. Parole officers make unannounced visits to the parolee's houses or apartments to check on them. And during these home visits, officers look for signs of drug or alcohol use, guns or illegal weapons, and other illegal activities. Should parolees start to use drugs or alcohol, they are told to go to a drug or alcohol counselling and Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Should they not comply with conditions of the parole certificate, including abstention from voting, a warrant is issued for their arrest. Their parole time is stopped when the warrant is issued and starts only after they are arrested. They have a parole violation hearing with a specified time and then the decision is made by the parole board to revoke their parole or continue the parolee on parole. In some cases, a parolee may be discharged from the parole before the time is called for the original sentence. If it it's determined that the parole restrictions are no longer necessary for the protection of society. This most frequently occurs when elderly parolees are involved. Service members who commit crimes while in the US military may be subject to court-martial proceedings under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ. If found guilty, they may be sent to a federal or military prison and upon release may be supervised by the US Federal Probation Officers. Parole in the United States has proven to be politically divisive. Beginning from the initiation of the war on drugs in the 1970s, politicians began to advertise their tough-on-crime stances, encouraging a tightening of penal policy and resulting in longer sentences for what were previously referred to as minor drug violations. During elections, politicians who administration's parole any number of prisoners, or perhaps one notorious criminal, are typically attacked by their opponents as being soft on crime. According to the US Department of Justice, at least 16 states have been removed the option of parole entirely and four more have abolished parole for certain violent offenders. However, during the rise of mass incarceration in the 1970s, the states that continued to use parole and indeterminate sentencing contributed more to the rising incarceration rates than those without parole boards. Said states implemented a dramatic decrease of parole releases, which inevitably resulted in longer sentences for more prisoners. From 1980 to 2009, indeterminate sentencing states made up nine of the 10 states with the highest incarceration rate. Starting in the 1980s, parole was revisited as a method once again to manage prison populations 
and as a financial motivation to prevent further budget straining. The new approach to parole release was accompanied with the growth of mass surveillance state. The supervision practices of increased drug testing, intensive supervision, unannounced visits and home confinements are widely used today. Additionally, a growing condition of parole was to assume the role of informant towards frequently surveilled communities. The Great Recession of 2008, coupled with the Twin Towers attack on September 11, 2001, contributed to public emphasis on the war on terror and eventually led to a trend of lowering incarceration. In fact, presidential politics between 2001 and 2012 were, for the first time in 10 years, not focused on domestic crime control and even saw the promotion of the Second Chance Act by George W. Bush, who used the act to pledge federal money for re-entry as a symbol of his compassionate conservatism. Debates and reform efforts on parole. Since the 1990s, parole and indeterminate sentencing have been the focus of debate in the United States, with some emphasising reform of the parole system and others calling for its abolishment altogether. These debates are fueled by a growing scholarship that criticises the US parole boards and those and also the parole system more broadly. Parole boards themselves are seen as lacking in efficient qualifications and too politicised in the appointment process. The decision for granting parole has been criticised for neglecting the due process of prisoners on a case-by-case -case basis. Additionally, the process for being granted a commutation has been criticised as many prisoners have been denied a commutation for not showing the right amount of remorse or providing substantially that they were ready to contribute again, which are aspects that many argue are too normative and subjective. Most agree that, as was originally intended, the parole system puts a necessary focus on rehabilitation, despite its current problems which are widely debated. Critics note that it is becoming more and more expensive to the taxpayer with little evidence of successful rehabilitation for prisoners. The conditions of parole themselves are often attacked as well, critiqued for being too overwhelming, criminogenic and perpetuating mass surveillance and a permanent state of imprisonment that does not and does little to ensure a smooth re-entry into society. Critics note that greater discretion is required to decide which parolees require costly supervision resources and which ones do not. Rather than placing digital, physical and structural restrictions on every parolee. The US Department of Justice, the DOJ, stated in 2005 that 45% of parolees completed their sentences successfully, while 38% were returned to prison and 11% absconded. These statistics, the DOJ says, are relatively unchanged since 1999. Even so, some states, including New York, have abolished parole altogether for violent felons, 
and the federal government abolished it all in 1984 for all offenders convicted of a federal crime, whether violent or not. Despite the decline in jurisdictions without a functioning parole system, the average annual growth of parolees was an increase of about 1.6% per year between 1995 and 2002. A variant of parole is known as time off for good behaviour or colloquially good time. And like the traditional form of parole, which may be granted or denied at the discretion of the parole board, time off for good behaviour is an automatic absent, a certain number or gravity of infractions committed by a convict while incarcerated. In most jurisdictions, the released inmate is placed under the supervision of a parole officer for a certain amount of time after being released. In some cases, good time can re reduce the original sentence by as much as one third. It is usually not made available to inmates serving life sentences as there is no release date that can be moved up. There is a difference between parole and mandatory supervision. In some states in the United States, they have something which is known as mandatory supervision, whereby an inmate is released before the completion of their sentence due to a legal technicality, which obliged the offender justice system to free them. In the federal prison system and in some states such as Texas, inmates are compensated with good time which is counted towards time served. For example, if an inmate served five years of a 10 year prison term and also had five years of good time, they will have completed their sentence on paper, obliging the state to release them unless deemed a threat to society in writing by the parole board. Where parole is granted or denied at the discretion of the parole board, mandatory supervision does not involve a decision-making process. One either qualifies for it or does not. Mandatory supervision tends to involve stipulations that are more lenient than those of parole and in some places place no obligations at all on the individual being released. There is also some involvement in the parole in US immigration law. In US immigration law, the term parole has two meanings relating to allowing persons to enter or leave the US states without the normal required documentation. Parole is the agreement of the persons who have been taken prisoner by the enemy that they will not again take up arms against those who captured them, either for a limited time during or during the continuance of war. The US Department of Defense defines parole more broadly. Parole agreements are promises given by the captor, by POW, to fulfill stated conditions such as not to bear arms or not to escape in consideration for special privileges such as released from captivity or lessened restraint. The practice of paroling enemy troops began thousands of years ago, at least as early as the time of Carthage. Parole allowed prisoners, captors, to avoid the burdens of having to feed or care for them 
while still avoiding having prisoners rejoin their old ranks once released. It could allow captives to recover their own men in a prisoner exchange. Hugo Grotius, an early international lawyer, favorably discussed prisoner of war parole. During the American Civil War, both Dix Hill Cartel and the Libera Code set up rules regarding prisoner of war parole. Francis Leiber's thoughts on parole later reappeared in the Declaration of Brussels of 1874 and the Hague Convention and the Geneva Convention relative to the treatment of prisoners of war. In the United States, current policy prohibits US military personnel who are prisoners of war from accepting parole. The Code of the United States Fighting Force states, I will accept neither parole nor special favours from the enemy. The position is reiterated by the Department of Defence. The United States does not authorise any military service member to sign or enter into any sort of parole agreement. As we can hear from all that I've just discussed, parole is a very contentious subject. From my sense of things, I think it is something that does need to be treated on a case-by-case situation. There is a lot of academic literature that shows the most cost-effective ways to improve reintegration and rehabilitation and they say that the reduction in parole supervision is one of those ways and I don't always believe that parole supervision is the way to actually rehabilitate people unfortunately if people are going to reoffend, they are going to reoffend whether they have parole restrictions or not and I think that shows in the statistics that it's 45% of parolees complete their sentences, but 38 were returned to prison. It's very close numbers. There's no cut or dry way to do things. At the same time, I, I cannot support incarceration for minor crimes, which... I think parole sometimes is not going to be effective for those minor crimes. However, as we all know, minor crimes can then escalate and criminals can increase their crimes every time if they're not rehabilitated properly. My also influencing factor is that once people have been incarcerated for so long they don't actually know how to be a productive member of society in quote-unquote the outside world because they have been incarcerated for so long and it's something that I think prison systems need to address They need to be able to give 
prisoners the actual skills to be able to go out in the world, gain employment, be a productive member of society, to give them the actual meaning to be a stand-up citizen. Now, something that resonates really closely to me is when I was in university and I was in one of my lectures and we were talking about the criminal justice system and my lecturer at the time said something. He said, in a community where there could be high crime, high, he gave the example of where drugs are dealt. He said, children growing up will see that the drug dealer is driving the nicest cars, wearing the nicest clothes most of the time. And that said drug dealer will actually look after the community that he has grown up in. He will look after his family and the sort of community group. This is very much of like even how gangsters of the past used to control a lot around them. They would look after the family and the group around the family. So then when people used to aspire to become something, they would aspire to be like them because they are being treated kindly by these people. And I think that's something that the justice system needs to take on, that if you treat incarcerated people or children of incarcerated people as well kindly, support them, all the money on surveillancing and all of that can be channeled into those children to give them the education, to give them the better chances of getting a better job. So then they can do that, but they don't have to turn to the drug dealing or the gangster activity or the criminal activity to be able to get to that status of being able to look after. And I think that's something that really needs to be addressed. I understand that obviously with the thousands and thousands and thousands of prisoners, it's, going to, it's so hard to try and control that. And some of the cases that I'm going to cover, some people should never have been let out on parole. There is a psychological assessment done of every prisoner that I know of in the UK when they enter the prison. So the psychologist knows their state of mind when they enter the prison. You will also have reports from, you'll be able to read their interviews, any reports from anyone else, whether they have actually reoffended before. Then when they do come up for parole or an eligible time for parole, then you do another sit down. Unfortunately, some criminals are very good at manipulation and they will know how to manipulate the psychologist or they know the right things to say. It is then the psychologist's job to actually see through that and be able to make the call that, no, they are not showing any remorse, they don't want to be rehabilitated or they physically can't be rehabilitated. Some people can't 
and that's not a fault of the justice system or really the person it's just gone on too much far too long I just want to give the sides of all of this because there is a lot of criticism of the parole board but in the end they have to make so many judgments all the time and some people you do have to give the benefit of the doubt and I know it is very subjective to say someone isn't showing remorse but if someone is obviously guilty like there is multiple sources to show their guilt and they are still saying that they are not guilty I'm sorry that is not remorse that's not accepting the behavior I that's something that I have to agree with with a parole board is that no I would not give parole to that person either anyway that was a bit of a heavy intro into parole I basically just wanted to give a great big overview of what it is in a lot of countries obviously we hear a lot more about the US I am going to be covering some cases which people were granted parole and how they actually conducted their lives after the parole. So next week I'm actually going to be um, covering the case of Sarah Payne and how a parole decision affected her life and the aftermath of everything that came from that. I am just going to warn that it is a case about a child so if you are not obviously you don't want to listen to something like that then please skip that week because it I'm not going to cover any of the gruesome parts of the case. I'm going to try and keep it on a positive lilt and the positivity that came out of Sarah's case. But it is actually a case which I think should be taught and should be given as an example. But I will be covering that and that will be released on Friday. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. My sources this week were Wikipedia, also the Department of Justice, um, Department of Law for the UK, Department of Justice for America. I also had the statistics um, for Canada. I also got that from their um, Department of Justice's website. A lot of this information has actually come directly from those websites. So if you really want any more information, then I'd give them a read. It's really valuable, I think, for people to be knowledgeable about parole because it's a word that's flung around so often when you hear it. Not eligible for parole until... Or not eligible for parole at all. Or eligible for parole at this time. It's something, it's a word that we know and it's a word that we hear, but it's not something that we really know all too much about. 
So again, thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. If you have anything that you'd like me to cover, or if you have any questions from what I discussed this week, then please give me an email on macabreformortals at gmail.com. And if you do like this podcast, please consider subscribing. Um, If you want to see any of the pictures or anything updated in this, then please head to the Instagram page, Macabre for Mortals. I will get on top of organising that a bit better as well. Well, thank you for joining me again, and I hope you have a lovely week.